Hello, Center Rate Church. I'm Deidre, and this week I'm here with my husband, Eric. Hey, good morning, everyone. Deidre and I are here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. And as we get started, if you're on the Sunday morning live platform right now, feel free to say hi in the chat if you haven't done so already. Yep, we love uh, to see everyone saying hi and connecting online. We're so thankful to be gathering with all of you today. Hello to everyone gathered live on Sunday, including any watch parties out there. We also know you may be watching or listening to this later on in the week, so hello to you as well. We'd also like to say a very special welcome to any guests joining us for the very first time. We're excited that you're choosing to spend time here. And even though we're gathering online right now, we hope you feel at home and get a sense of who we are. One of the ways that we can help with that is by sharing some information that we talk through every week to help you know what to expect and how to engage. So Deidre is going to start by talking about the live platform in case you find yourself there. Yeah, the live platform has a lot of options and a lot of flexibility. For example, if you love to chat, you can say hi and comment. And if not, you can feel free to switch over to the scripture. If at any time you'd like prayer or have questions, just hit the request prayer button and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. You'll also find tabs that will allow you to do a number of things. You can share your info with us. And if you're a guest, we'd love to connect in order to get your feedback. You can also explore next steps. You can find previous messages. There's also a tab to give for those that call Center Way their home and would like to conveniently give that way. If you're watching or listening to this message later on in the week and you're not on the live platform, you can do many of those things through our website. You can also connect with us on social media. For anyone out there, guests or familiar faces who have questions, feedback, ideas, or need prayer, we would love to help and serve you. Just email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. All right. Another way that you can connect and move forward in your spiritual journey is through resources found on our website. I'm going to highlight a few uh, for you right now, but I encourage you to check out the Next Steps page and Messages page for additional info. I'll start by pointing out the Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. They're created by our team and they go deeper into the message. These are posted on our website or you can have them sent directly to your inbox by subscribing on the Next Steps page of the website. We also create images to put on your phone or desktop to remind you of the weekly application. Sometimes we just need a little reminder to keep moving forward, and that's one way to do it. Last thing I'm going to mention is that we have a message just for kids. The preaching team works together so that the kids are learning what we adults are learning. The content is kid-friendly, of course, and it's really great to be able to talk about the same things uh, at home with your kids. Absolutely. One last thing, our new circle cycle just started this past Friday and student circles start today, but it's not too late to join. And for information about what circles are, details about this cycle and how to sign up, check out centerwaychurch.com circles, or you can visit the next steps page of the website. Mm -hmm. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Ella, one of our Centerway students, will be reading the scripture text for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then we'll close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. And then right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Now here's Ella with the text for today. Hi, my name is Ella Marsilio, and I'll be reading the scripture text today. Today we're going to be reading Mark 8, 1 through 10. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, Have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said, These 
also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And I took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Hello, my name is Claude, and my wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. We're excited to continue in the series Unnoticed. In fact, this morning's message is specifically entitled Provision, Unnoticed Provision. Um, when I think back a little bit on, uh, on some of the experiences that I've had, I, I actually have a lot of people in my life that have enjoyed telling me jokes. And uh, they've told me jokes at different times, and sometimes they're funny, and sometimes you're polite, and I mean, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, we all have different people like that in our lives. Uh, I was on staff at a church prior to coming to uh, plant Centerway, and uh, the church that I was on staff at had like a, a cafe lobby area. And uh, I remember uh, just coming out in the morning on Sunday mornings to grab a cup of coffee, and there were some older gentlemen that would always share jokes with me. And sometimes they were absolutely hilarious, and then other times I was being absolutely polite. And so if you're listening, Sorry, you, you had to know that I was just being polite. In either case, uh, I remember one time in particular, I was excited because I had heard a riddle. And so anytime I could contribute to the joking or the riddle, uh, I felt like I was kind of uh, pulling my own weight. And so uh, this morning, this one morning in particular, I, uh, I came out and I shared this riddle and I actually uh, snagged it off the internet to make sure that I say it right because nothing would be worse than me trying to recall it from memory and saying the riddle wrong. It might be familiar to you. It's an older one. Uh, the riddle goes like this. Uh, a father and a son were in a car accident. The father dies and the son is taken to the nearest hospital. In the operating room, a doctor came in and looked at the little boy and said, I can't operate on him. He is my son. Who is the doctor? Right? So I tell this riddle uh, to this gentleman, and um, he has several guesses as to who this doctor is. And, um, and finally, after he guesses several times, uh, I say, the doctor is his mother. And he looks at me, and he goes like this. He goes... I don't get it. And I was like, what do you mean you don't get it? And he goes, I don't, I don't get it. Say, say it again. So I say the riddle again. And then I say, it's his mother. The doctor is his mother. And all of a sudden, his face kind of turns red. And he goes, oh, oh, why wouldn't I think a doctor would be a woman? And his wife, who is just a spitfire, just elbows him super hard and goes, yeah, why wouldn't you think that? And he goes, I I don't know. Why, why wouldn't it occur to me that, that the doctor was a woman? And, uh, and so the question I want to ask you this morning is why does it sometimes take multiple times to get it? Why does it sometimes take multiple times to get it? And I think the answer to this question is rather easy in concept, but it's difficult to accept because it's revealing. That's why this guy was kind of embarrassing, embarrassed because it was kind of revealing about his perception, his perception of doctors, his perception of, of women, and he was embarrassed. He, he couldn't believe it. Uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was a couple months ago, I say that all the time uh, to in front of my wife. I'll say like, uh, the other day, and she's like, that was a year ago. Uh, so my timing might be off here, but in the past, <laughs> I said this riddle uh, to my kids, to one kid in particular, uh, my son. He was really excited. Uh, telling a lot of jokes at the time. And so I said, I have a riddle for you. And so I told him this riddle. 
And he looks at me and immediately when I was done with the riddle, he goes, the doctor's his mother. And I was like, right. And he looked at me like confused and he's like, dad, that's, that's not a riddle. And so I was like, yeah, yeah, it is, but it, it's a riddle. And so one of my daughters came out and said, wait, what, what, tell me, tell me. So I tell her the riddle and she immediately says, the doctor's his mother. I was like, yeah. And so then they <laughs> proceed to explain to me the concept of a riddle. And I was like, I understand the riddle. The thing is it, like it's supposed to be a little bit, like a lot of people are confused. You know, they think that maybe the doctor's his father. They're like, no, you said the father was in the car. I was like, I understand. And I was like, dad, I don't, I don't get it. And <laughs> I was so annoyed because they're trying to explain to me what a riddle is and I understand it. The problem was this, they've both had female doctors. It, it hasn't even dawned on them that a doctor wouldn't potentially be a female, right? It, the way the riddle works is because it has to, to lean on our constructs, on our preconceived ideas, on what it is that we understand or think we understand about the world. And so to them, it just simply did not make any sense. It wasn't a riddle at all because doctors are females, doctors are males. I ask again, why does it sometimes take multiple times to get it? And it's because we often bring our own preconceived ideas and assumptions to whatever it is that we're experiencing. In other words, we're almost blinded by what we think we know. So if we think back about this gentleman that was just kind of embarrassed, basically what it was revealing, what the, what, what the riddle was revealing, and I certainly wasn't trying to embarrass him, but the, the riddle was revealing a preconceived idea, a preconceived idea of who he viewed a doctor could be. And so we're almost blinded by what we think we know. We have our preconceived ideas, assumptions, like I mentioned. Now, let me just clarify, this is not a message about gender bias or anything like that. This is a message about our perception and reality and how those two things collide, how perception and reality collide every day of our lives. Often our perception becomes our reality, even if it's misguided. It's based on our preconceived ideas, by our experiences, and it becomes our reality. It's a human condition. So this is not a Christian thing, a uniquely Christian thing. This is whether you're Christian or not, as a human being, we bring our preconceived ideas. We bring our experiences into every situation. And so this is super profound. Bear with me. We bring ourselves everywhere we go. I know mind bending, right? So you have to realize that if, if we have all these experiences, we have all these assumptions, these things that have kind of spoken into our lives, well then in every situation and in every experience, we bring all of that baggage, if you will, into that perception of reality in that moment. It informs how we look at situations. If we're painfully honest, if we're painfully honest, it makes us situationally blind at times. We get so myopic, we get so focused on, on our perception that we miss what is actually happening right in front of us. It's, it's exactly the situation in today's text. The disciples are almost blind to God's activity and his provision. They have a preconceived idea on reality and they're just allowing it to inform their everything. 
What's interesting about this passage is that we start to see a shift in how people are engaging Jesus. This crowd seems to want to simply be in his presence. From the the text, it appears that they aren't there because of his miracles. It doesn't say that there have been days and days of consecutive miracles that they're just in awe of. No, it's it's talking about how they're present with him for days because they want to hear his teaching. They want to hear his preaching. In fact, they're so much leaning in that it's been literally three days, according to the text, and they haven't even left to eat. So they're just leaning in with every part of who they are. There's a shift taking place here. Here's what else we know about this text is that there are a total of 4,000 people that are present. And based on the location that we know, um, they're mostly Gentiles that are present. So we now have this this group of 4,000 Gentiles that are just enamored by what it is that Jesus is preaching and teaching. Now, this is different than the feeding of the 5,000. Um, for one, the feeding of the 5,000, the way that the attendance was taken there, there's indications that it could have been three times that, and if we include women and children, to four times that. So somewhere around 5,000 to 20,000 in that situation were fed, and in this one, there's 4,000. So obviously, there's a numerical difference. Beyond that, with the feeding of the 5,000, uh, they were mostly Jews, and so now we're dealing with mostly Gentiles. So Jesus actually also says things later on in chapter 8 that we'll get to that make it clear that this is a second and separate situation. All right, so the question is this. Why does Jesus perform this miracle? Why is it that it happens? If there's one thing that we've learned, hopefully, in this journey, is that Jesus is very intentional. There's a reason here. So why? Why is it that he feeds these 4,000 people? I think the reason is really twofold. First, it's compassion-driven. But secondly, I believe that he's addressing the disciples' spiritual blindness, their, their perception on his capacity to provide, this question of provision and how far it really extends. So let's pick up the story a little bit in uh, verses 2 through 3. It says this, and it begins, uh, verse 2 begins with Jesus speaking. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. He's speaking to his disciples. Because they have been with me now three days and have, and have nothing to eat. Going on to verse 3, it says, And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. I have compassion. Jesus starts this phrase, this, these verses, by saying, I have compassion. I care about these people. I care about them on a very practical and personal level. I love this. I love the way he starts the conversation, and I love the way Jesus um, connects his compassion on such a personal level and the way that Mark records that. Don't miss this. We obviously understand at this point, if you've been with us through the series, that the emphasis of Jesus' teaching is on the kingdom of God. It's salvation-based, okay? So we know that Jesus' mission is an eternal one. So that's really what he's focusing in on, these people's souls. But what becomes clear here is that Jesus sees people not simply as part of his mission, now, that's important because I think some of us have this perception that, that Jesus is on mission. And so he's just kind of got his head down and he's doing what he needs to do. He's going to go to a cross because of all of mankind. But it's, it's much more personal than that. It's not just this overarching mission. At times we per- perceive God because of our experiences or because of what we bring to the table as like 
relationally disconnected, as if he's, he's distant. There's this God up in heaven. But that's not reality. That's not reality. Jesus sees people, he sees us as individuals. Individuals that he deeply, personally loves. He has compassion on them and he wants to meet their needs. Listen, God is not bothered or annoyed by our needs. Let me say that again, because I think we need it to sink in. Let me make it a little more personal. God is not bothered or annoyed by your needs. You're not an inconvenience to him. And he's, he's clarifying that in the text here. He's like, I care specifically about them as individuals. I think one of the, the lies that we tell ourselves, or even that maybe the enemy of hell whispers into our ears at times or into our heart, is that our needs, our hurts, even our heartbreaks, the things that, that keep us up at night or bring tears to our eyes, or hurt in such a way that we would never even put words to because we're not even sure how to put words to it. That they're just, they're too small. They're too insignificant. That, that God doesn't, he doesn't care about that stuff. Nobody cares about that stuff. In fact, we've compartmentalized it to maybe even try to convince others that we don't care about it. But for God, and if we believe that there is a God, we tend to think that God cares on a macro soul level, that he's dealing with the big issues of the world. But Jesus is displaying yet again in this text that our perception of God is wrong, that it's entirely misguided, that he also cares about the micro personal level. He deeply, desperately loves us. So what's the disciples' response to his concern and his compassion? Because he prefaced it by, I have compassion. So he's not just saying, like, hey, they're hungry and they're complaining. Let's take care of this. No, he's saying, I have compassion. This is an act of love and concern for individuals. And their response is this in verse 4. They say, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Really? Really? I am, I am so incredibly and profoundly grateful for the patience that God has with me. I'm, I'm blown away. I'm humbled. I'm almost embarrassed at times. Like, God, thank you for being patient with me as, as, I, as I continually make the same mistakes or as I continually miss you time and time again or your voice, it seems like it's shouting to me. But when we read, when we read through Mark, I'm just, I'm just struck by God's patience with his disciples. I I would respond and say, oh my good, that is a great point. Guys, how could we ever find bread in this desolate place? If only, if only we knew someone that had maybe done this before. Who, who could it be? Guys, I don't, I don't remember. Have we ever been in a desolate place without food? Hmm. And somehow got some. Hmm. You know, I'm not sure. And then I just stand there and stare at, I mean, I would literally play this 
to its highest level because I don't understand how you would experience such an amazing miracle like the feeding of 5,000 that we believe could be upwards of 20,000 people with leftovers and then look at Jesus and say, I don't know how we're going to do this. I mean, who who could ever provide bread for 4,000 people? I think the reason why we find it laughable is because we don't want to identify as closely as we really can. The reality is we've seen God's hand in so many different situations and circumstances. And every time we're like, this is impossible. How can I get through this? And yet God is patient and compassionate towards us. But let's look at the people here. Let's look at the disciples. They just don't get it. They're spiritually blinded by their perception of reality. This is impossible. This circumstance, this situation, we cannot overcome it, Jesus. What they should have said? They should have said, Jesus, you're able. You are able. You've done it before and we think you can do it again. You just tell us what we should do and then you do what only you can do. Right? I mean, but we have the ability of of looking at the text. And so we can remember it because it was just a couple weeks ago in our messages. (laughs) But in our lives, in the rhythm of our lives, over and over again, we are so much like the disciples. Instead, like us, they still don't get it. They're still not connecting the dots. To them, it just seems impossible. But listen, Jesus doesn't allow their spiritual blindness to hinder his compassion. I love that because that's, that's hope for us. That's hope for me. Okay. I'll, I'll take it all on me. I'm the only one with this problem. (laughs) Jesus doesn't allow their spiritual blindness to hinder his compassion. Thank you, God. He performs a miracle. He feeds the 4,000. He feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves of bread. And then he finds some small fish and and multiplies that. And once again, there's seven baskets of leftovers. One more time, Jesus performs a miracle and displays not only his compassion, but his overflowing provision. You see, there's even leftovers, as I mentioned. Again, Jesus is saying, I I can't only deal with this situation. I'm going to deal with it overflowing. There's going to be more than you can even handle. There had to be a moment at some point. There has to be. As as human beings, at some point, there had to be a moment of deja vu, right? (laughs) At some point, even if they didn't get it up until this point, when all of a sudden they're feeding, let's just say they're really missing it. Maybe when it comes down to the 4,000th person that has fed some bread from merely seven loaves, that they go, oh, wait, we've seen this before. Hang on. This is nothing new. You see, they had forgotten because of their humanity, because of everything they bring to the table, because of their preconceived ideas, because of their assumptions, because of, because of all of their humanity. And they've got to be sitting there much like this older gentleman, just embarrassed, like, oh, how did I not get that? How did I not connect the dots here? You're kidding. You're kidding. Their perceived ideas influenced their perception of reality. How about you? How about you? 
Do you allow your preconceived ideas to influence your perception of reality, of what God's able to do, of how much he cares or doesn't care about the personal issues within your life, the the deep hurts, the, the unique pain, the loneliness, whatever it might look like. Have you gotten to a place where you're just head down in the midst of the circumstances? Because we are just as human as the disciples. The situation and the circumstance at times, they just, they swallow us up and we just forget. We forget, we just get consumed in the concerns of the day. And God's provision goes unnoticed. Is his provision going unnoticed in your life today? You see, Jesus would go to a cross and his body would be broken, much like this bread. But much like this bread, it it would be more than enough. You see, this bread that was broken is the bread of life that was broken for you and for me. In that moment, he made provision for our souls so that we could come into relationship with God. You see, he became the bread of life and his compassion extends even beyond the provision for our eternity to the everydayness of our lives. That's what Jesus is saying is, I I have compassion on you. I'm going to, to deal with the eternal, with the macro, but I'm also dealing with the micro, with the personal. Do you live like you get that? Do you live your life like you know that every day? Or are you swallowed up by the circumstances, by the worries, by the concerns of this world? Listen, this this lesson is actually very similar to the lesson before in the feeding of the 5,000. So why does it happen again in Mark? Why does Mark record it yet a second time? Well, one, because it happened. But two, because we forget. We forget. Mark is driving a point home. Part of preparing for the season that you are in is reminding your soul of past seasons of provision. Sounds familiar, right? Almost like deja vu. Let me say it again. Part of preparing for the season you are in is reminding your soul of past seasons of provision. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago in a similar fashion. But we need some truth deja vu. We need to continue to allow the truth of the gospel to saturate our soul and our lives so that we can really get it, that we really grasp it and realize, oh, God's provision overflows. He is is for us, not against us. He knows us deeply. And even in the midst of the depravity of our own souls, he desperately loves us. Now, maybe... You'll say in in situations and circumstances, but I've never experienced this specific situation before. I think we do that as humans sometimes. We're like, okay, well, God dealt with that, and I'm grateful for that. And if I ever deal with that again, I promise I'll remember. And maybe you do. But oftentimes we find ourselves in the midst of a new difficulty, in something we've never experienced. And so in those moments, we're like, "But, but God, you've never seen me through this before. Certainly this, this has got to derail you, right? This is impossible. And in those moments, those are the moments that I want to challenge you to speak the gospel to yourself. You see, because 
in the moments where we can speak the gospel to ourselves and remind our hearts and our and our souls that God took care of the macro, that he took care of the eternal, that he took care of that which is long and this is temporal, it gives us a perception and a perspective change to remember, oh, if God can deal with this, maybe he hasn't dealt with it specifically in my life before, but he can handle this. God's got this. And he's walking me through it. And I don't know how it will will play out or what it's going to look like, but God has not left me. He has not forsaken me. He is for me. He loves me. He's extending compassion. He hears my hurt. He hears my cries. God is with me. And so I will walk through this, not because I understand it, but because I'm not alone. You see, we have to remember the truth of the gospel and speak it to our souls. David even did that in Psalm. He spoke to his soul, to his very soul. Because we wander, we forget. So I want to I challenge you. I want to challenge you with this. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And so here's the challenge. The challenge is to tell a friend or family member about God's provision in your life. Tell a friend or family member about God's provision in your life. Now, I don't mean provision in the sense of like, yeah, I needed 20 bucks and I found it. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about these random, inconsequential, temporal things. I'm talking about moments in which you were at a crossroads of impossibility. Like, there's no way this can happen. There's no way things are going to add up and all of a sudden, God came through. And, and now maybe that means in some unique way it attached to something temporal, but you knew that you knew it was a God thing and not you found something, you know. And the reason why we have that challenge is because we want to create an environment where part of the rhythm of our lives is to reflect on the provision of God so that we don't forget that we don't forget, that we don't get so consumed and swallowed up by the circumstances and situations of this world, that, that we forget the reality that God has provided on eternal levels and on temporal levels, in macro ways and micro ways, that God is deeply personal. And so allow it to be the rhythm of your life. Now, this morning, you might hear that and say, tell a friend or family member about God's provision in my life. I, I don't know that I've, I've permitted God's provision in my life. I'm not in relationship with God. So for you this morning, maybe the challenge is to allow the eternal provision of God in your life, to surrender your life to him, to acknowledge the fact that Jesus lived the sinless life that you could never live and that he died the death that you deserve and that you, you can just come into relationship with him, that you could allow that eternal provision to be extended towards you. If that's you this morning, I want to challenge you to pray a prayer. It's, it's a simple one, and it can be in your own words. Something that, that connects the dots of the fact that you're a sinner, as we all are, but that Jesus died the death that you deserve. And just ask God to forgive you of the sins of your life and ask him to be the Lord and leader of your life. If you prayed that prayer, if you're praying that prayer, if you're with us live, I want to challenge you to, to click on that request a prayer button on the live platform and you'll go into a private conversation with one of our hosts and we'll just talk to you about the decision you made so that it's not an emotional or kind of spur of the moment decision, but one that's lasting. If you're listening to this later or watching this later, I want to encourage you to reach out to us either through our website or through email so that we can walk alongside you. For others of you 
that have already prayed that prayer, that have crossed that line of salvation. I want, I want to challenge you to remind yourself and others of God's provision, whether that means getting into the rhythm of, of becoming gospel fluent, where you speak the truth of the gospel over yourself, or if it means being able to communicate to others some sense of hope because of that which you have walked through. Like, listen, I don't know the uniqueness of your life right now, but I know that God saw me through this. And so I think he's going to see you through it too. Let me walk alongside you as we go through this together. It's going to be painful, but you're not alone. Hope. That we would be carriers of hope to people that desperately need it. And that we would be speakers or communicators of hope even to ourselves and to our own soul. Remembering that which God has done, which only God can do. Now maybe you're out there and and you've crossed that line of faith and you're in the rhythm of communicating the gospel to yourself. To you, I want to I challenge this, uh, this application to tell a friend or family member about God's provision in your life to be a spiritual one in the sense that it's unapologetically attached to eternal things. In other words, I want to challenge you to be missional. I want you to, to intentionally pray to the Lord and ask him to reveal to you people that he's allowed to intersect in your life so that you could communicate the truth of your salvation, of how God provided a way for you to come into relationship with him and that you'd share that with family and friends. Maybe it means sharing this message or maybe it means sharing other messages or having a spiritual conversation. Whatever it looks like, I want to challenge you to move forward in what it is that you know and don't allow yourself to be so consumed and swallowed up by the worries of this world that we forget about God's compassion and overflowing provision. Don't allow God's provision to go unnoticed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just surrender. We surrender um, our preconceived ideas, our experiences, the baggage that we bring into the everydayness of our life. And we just open our hands and, and we ask, God, would, would you do what only you can do? We declare ourselves available. And we pray, Father, that you would even remind us of moments of your provision, divine moments that maybe we've marginalized or that we've forgotten in the busyness of life so that we could celebrate those moments where you have been Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Excited to be with you again next week as we continue in our journey unnoticed. We are so thankful for another great morning. We love gathering online with you and growing together. We really want to encourage you to take time to respond to the word this week. Now, there are many ways to do that, but a great step is to tell a friend or family member about God's provision in your life. And that's because it's not only helpful for you to remember God's faithfulness, it's also encouraging to the person hearing it. Absolutely. It really is an act of worship to rehearse God's goodness and faithfulness. Another way to worship is something we get to do together if you're gathered live, and that's singing. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship through song, either by finding the video posted on Facebook or singing along with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for our unnoticed playlist. For those gathered live on the online platform, we'll see you on Facebook or Instagram in a few minutes.